Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsessions will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hey, folks. You're listening to The Dork Forest, or about to. The website's JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com. If you like determiners, FamilyPetAncestry.com, if you like jokes, because uh, that just leads you to JackieCation.com. Those are the websites. The credits, Mike Rickberg composed and sang that song. He just heard. He sang it with his wife, Sarah Cohen. He'll sing the song at the end. His words to the Mexican hat dance. Patrick Brady fixes this audio. Vilmos fixes my website, JackieCation.com. There are several ways to support the show if you want to support the show. Most basic way, the PayPal button. Donate. Knock yourselves out. There's a PayPal button on JackieCation.com and DorkForest.com. You can also Venmo me at Jackie at JackieCation.com, where you can also email me and say things. Another way to support the show, pretty painless, the Amazon button. On both JackieCation.com and DorkForest.com, there's a link, a banner to the Amazon page where you just order like normal. Uh, doesn't cost you extra. It just supports the show. There is also merch, very direct, at JackieCation.com, a whole merch situation. You can get Ranger of the Dork Forest t-shirts. You can get Dork Forest t-shirts. You can get my stand-up comedy t-shirts. All the, com- all the t-shirts are union-made here in the United States of America, so they run a little big because they're made by Americans. There's also my CDs and my DVD. All of that is available uh, digitally as well, but if you want hard copies, you go to JackieCation.com, the merch page. Not available on the merch page are a couple of enamel pins that I haven't added to the merch page yet, and they are Meat Shield pins and Spooky Reading Girl pins. Email me, Jackie at JackieCation.com, if you want those pins. Um, there's also a calendar of my stand-up comedy. There are premium episodes of The Dork Forest, which are episodes that I've taped live, and they cost me a couple of bucks to make, so I charge you a couple of bucks for them. So if you've run through all of the free ones, go to thedorkforest.bandcamp.com and get a live premium episode if you'd like. The YouTube page is on fire. That's right. There's teaser clips on the Jackie Cation Dork Forest YouTube page, but there's also... The entire episode, the whole episode of The Dork Forest are now uploaded to YouTube. So if you can't listen to iTunes or whatever at work, you can just have this on in the background with a beautiful picture of the guest and the logo. Enough already. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Dork Forest. You guys have been in the living room with Gary Peterson. Gary Peterson, welcome to the program. Jackie Cation, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Here we are. It's Gary J. Peterson, S-E-N-S-E-N. Gary J. Peterson on Twitter and comedygary.com because you do stand up comedy. Yes, I do. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. It's... I have this to say. Uh, I came back from vacation and I was like, who have I always wanted to have on and is available now? <laughs> and you, Gary Peterson, came to mind. That is, that is really nice. I really appreciate that. It has. There's something there. It's good, right? That's yeah. good. I mean, it, it's it's always nice to be um, considered, and right, and uh, someone who is uh, completely open <laughs> that I am. <laughs> right, you and your schedule available here yeah. in Los Angeles, wide open, wide open. Except, uh, I did ask June 28th. You're doing the UCB Franklin. Yeah, first time there. First and time there. Not safe for work show. I don't know what that means. It means maybe there'll be some cussing. <laughs> 
Mm, little blue humor. Blue. Uh, Tommy Ryman uh, texted me and said he saw Rich Miller. Oh, not, oh crap. He saw Rich Little. And um, and it was uh, crazy. He was like, he had Reagan jokes. Rich Little. <laughs> the Impressionist. The Impressionist Rich Little. Uh, he just saw him Saturday. This like two days ago. He's still doing the 1984 act that he has. Right. That. I and I and I texted him. I said, "Did he somehow make it topical?" Got a one-word response from Tommy Ryman. That word? No. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it's not that. Uh, I mean, Rich Little is fine. I just wish. It's he's just one of those things where you wish he would keep writing. Anyway. He's he's done it for what forty five fifty years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that he knew the greats. He's known them all. He's seventy seven. I I came up in the Boston comedy scene, and there were the guys that just stopped writing in nineteen eighty one, and it showed. And the dudes that were that have always been creative and continued on. Yeah. And the difference is like just the put in the work. If you wrote yeah. one new joke a year for thirty years. <laughs> Just think of that. It's a new half hour, guys. That's at least a new half hour if you're writing one-liners. Yeah. And if you're, think if you're writing stories. Exactly. That's, uh, those are albums. You're yeah. leaving money on the table, Sound Exchange. Uh, this is a different podcast. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Right. Sorry. No, go ahead. I just, I, I find that there's no excuse for laziness in this biz. <laughs> there isn't. Gary Peterson said it na- right now, not first. I coined that phrase. Gary Peterson said it first. And it's uh, so, but people should go and see you because you uh, are, I, you entertain me when you talk out of your face on the stage. It's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. See, look at me, always making friends. But we're on the Dork Forest right now, mm. and I am slightly punchy, but uh, that's why I haven't gotten to the point. And we are uh, two and a half minutes in. So <laughs> the point is this: for seven years, mm-hmm. you. Worked in colonial days or some damn thing. You know about the Revolutionary War. I know it's ins and outs from the beginnings, the early days, the early years, the Pete Best days of our country <laughs> beginning. Wow. That I definitely wanted uh, the Pete, Des- Pete Best days. It was, uh, yeah, uh, in, in Boston, I worked on the Freedom Trail. And well, that's right, because you're a Boston comic, so you're, did you grow up in Boston? Yeah, just outside, and then I moved into the city to you know, do more and more comedy and stuff. Right. Um, and to support myself, day gig, it was really great. Um, it, so you gave the Freedom Trail tour? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. I worked with the Freedom Trail Foundation, and I told all the stories. It was storytelling. It was, it was outdoor theater a lot of the time. Yeah. And you would, you would be in like these guerrilla elements of like homeless people coming up, being like, my change. There's a famous guy who sounds like that in Boston who's yeah? a murderer um, <laughs> of children. And, uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. It was like you'd perform around that. You'd navigate the elements. I have blizzards. I've done blizzard tours. Wow. Those people. How many people are on the tour? You know, um, three very dedicated people in that one that I can think of. Okay. So it could be small. Mm hmm. Could be one. Could just be one person has hired. Mm-hmm. Now, are they hiring you or are they hiring the foundation and you work for the foundation? Both. I did public tours. So I'd stand right. outside with maybe a bell or my voice and, yep. and uh, greet people as they would be like, go fuck yourself. And then um, <laughs> there were, there were, school tours and, and, and international tours and you get all these people that would come 
um, and then odd groups, odd fringe groups where there would be like, we're, um, we are an Asian American Christian group that wants to hear about Cotton Mather and how great he was. Um, side note, Cotton Mather started the Salem witch trials. Right. So. Right. I vaguely remember that name from a Sarah Vowell book. Let's talk about the revolution. Uh, yeah. what, do, what, what do you do? Where do you start? Tell me a tale. The beginning <laughs> is, um, I 1492. Think, no. <laughs> uh, the, the, the day the fight starts is 1773. But you've got to wind back the clock. Okay. You've got to start 1765. Okay. That's when now this, this golden era of our parents, England, has, okay. has left the kids at home yep. a little too long. Okay. And now they've come to say, all right, now you gotta, you've got to pay the utility bill because you live here now. Mm-hmm. And the resistance starts. What do you mean? Well, that analogy uh, falls apart somewhere in the middle for me. So, uh, okay, we live here. Yeah, we're occupying it. We're taking care of it, and they're the protectors. They're providing the armies, right. the police force, the infrastructure to a degree, but it's not a hundred percent. So all of like all that independent mindset of like, okay, since they left us to our own devices to build a. A, a city council or right. um, a, a government, um, we are we are starting to pick our own people, and uh, when yeah, they, we are. They have these wide laws that they want now. They start to want the Stamp Act, the stamps, a little tax on that. Was there no Stamp Act previously? Right, there wasn't. There were not really levied taxes. They were around, but nobody really collected them. <laughs> there were tariffs. Mm-hmm. Were there? So that it was, f- so people would figure out a way to come to these shores, mm-hmm. and the British government provided structure and armies and navies and whatever mm-hmm. protection, protection like a mafia. R- okay, when the and, Indians they, came ex- up, they come break the legs and we're safe. Right, but they asked for no money. There were no taxes because of that. Pretty much because not of, like the mafia at all. <laughs> it was. It was like. Um, what they were getting on the the return of investment, so all the all the lumber, all the um, the trade. Okay, and the, all they that. got a deal on they the, got a deal on product. Yeah, exactly. It was more of a barter situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then after the French free bakery, and, French and Indian War, yeah, free, free bakery. Sure, exactly. sure. And now, now that bakery, they're taking away that free sample. That's it. It's That's gone. It. It's gone. And um, that, and they're saying, are we the bakery in this? <laughs> Is the we're the um, we're they're the bakery and we're the people that go into the bakery and now the bakery prices are surging because they want they want some money in addition to the 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 free stuff. Yes, they're like, hey, you're all you, all that stuff you're giving us and let yeah. us sell around the world and all that that yeah. that fun fun good stuff. It's not good enough. We want more because we just protected you from the French and the right. Indians. And now we have to pay for that war. Exactly. And we're going to do that with a stamp act. Exactly. We're going to start to, we're just going to give you just a little bit of a little tax, see what we can get away with. This is like, the idea being like, this is slippery slope. It was slippery slope. You know that old Oh, sure, phrase? sure. Who this hasn't is, heard slippery slope? This is the beginning of the slippery slope. Okay. Um, the way Boston reacted is they lost their shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> they beat the shit out of tax collectors. Okay. They burned down the the post offices and had riots in the streets. And this is 1765. Mm-hmm. Okay. The stamp master, um, who was uh, given the job because he was a brother-in-law of the governor. Okay. He is new gig. Uh, he's being harassed pretty okay. bad. The point where they're burning um, little straw dummies of his body effigy oh, effigies. Sure, right out front. Right. Um, they put a sign in Boston Common in the center of everything that mm-hmm. says nothing. Something like some nothing gives me more glee than a tax man hanging from a tree. Wow, rhyming. Mm-hmm. Using some- poetry for evil. <laughs> right. It's a, this is a literate group then. Yes. This is not is this is not the rabble. This is uh these these are the the sort of the tradesmen and the merchants. It's a mix because you get the who's who's making the riots happen? Yeah. Who, who's behind the scenes stirring up that um unrest? Yeah. Are the people that are doing very well? The people that are like what you'd say top one percenters. Yeah. People like Samuel Adams, people like John Hancock. Right, cuz they see where this is going. Yeah. They see the big picture. And, if, and they're like, you should, we should all revolt. Thousand percent that. And they're selfish. Because Sam Adams, at this point, he's older than most of the revolutionary like leaders. Okay. He's got a vendetta. Like, the crown fucked his dad over so badly through this weird land deal situation. Okay. That he's like, I will, I will not let them get away with this. Okay. And he knows how... He but he's doing fine. He's doing great. He's he's not living check to check, Sam Adams. Mm-mm. No. Mainly because yeah. he was a tax collector for the crown and how good he was at it. Uh he he uh he got fired for not collecting taxes. But he may have just kept the money himself. <laughs> he may have collected taxes and then not passed them on. Exactly. But what kind of taxes were there before the sta- stamp act? Just like land taxes, I think. Okay, property taxes. Yeah, simple things like okay. that. Um, Stamp tax, new sales tax, essentially, is what that was. Yeah, it's one of the first, if not the first. Sales tax ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're, we got Sam Adams. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so that's 1765. Did did they, did the British crown win? Was there then a stamp tax? No, that, that got repealed pretty quickly. Okay. Um, but the way they tried to slip it through... Um, Again, was like on uh, on other little things. Like they tried to do like the sugar act. Okay. Like, okay. We'll, we'll we'll tax sugar coming in. Okay. Or we'll tax tea. Right. And it's starting. When was to the tea party? Seventeen seventy three, December sixteenth, I believe. Seventeen seventy three. That was the tea party, mm-hmm. and they called it a party. Um, so it like literally eight years later. The British government is nickel and diming mm-hmm. the people trying to trying to pass various taxes to pay for the French and Indian War, mm-hmm. and every single one is repealed. Um, they're 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 failing or, they- or repealed. Okay. Um, so leading up to the Tea Party, you've got um, you've just got in the streets brawls. You've got tax collectors that are the worst of the crown people. Okay. They had sent over people to America that were not good at their job because sure. nobody liked America now. People were like, uh, eh, that's a trouble zone. It's, right. It's let's get rid of this guy by sending him there. Cause two, two stones, one bird. 
Exactly. Two birds, one stone. Other way. Three cups. <laughs> um, Checkmate. It, Go. <laughs> it became a, it just became this, there are, there are moments, um, little stories, and I think Nathaniel Philbrick's Bunker Hill book, where like a tax collector is walking down a hill and a little boy like gave him a, a weird look and he started getting into it with him and then smacked the kid with like his saber. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Where this one loyalist guy trying to collect taxes that nobody likes beats up a kid, and now his house is being ransacked, and he's being paraded in the streets naked, tarred, and feathered. Oh, wow. Okay. Tarring and feathering is is a crazy, disgusting act of terrorism. Don't don't you die, then? If you tar and feather? Yeah. No, you lose layers of your skin. It burns it off. But you live. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost worse. Uh, kinda. Yeah. There was a tax collector, John Malcolm, mm-hmm. who was tarred and feathered at least twice. Twice! And the gross story about him yeah. is he kept all his dead skin in a box and brought it to England and presented it to their... To mil- the king. To the king, basically. He's like, hey, man, uh, I gave a couple of layers of my skin for you people. If uh, Could I get a job here? Is that what he wanted? He did it. You're exactly right. He presented his skin and said, I want to lead one of your armies in the war against America when fighting broke out later. Okay. He was like, this is my resume. Right. John Malcolm. And did he end up doing just such a thing? I believe they gave him a job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to turn down a guy who's given two layers of his skin. They have to Uh, check your references, but of course. The DNA uh, at the time. So when they tar and feather somebody, do they do their head too? Um. From what I've read, they first they rip off all of your clothes. Right. Then they burn you with this hot tar that covers your entire body. They throw it at you. They what pour more? it on you. Some they usually somebody holds you down, mm-hmm. and other people pour tar on you. Yeah, you're usually on like a wooden, um, you know, like a saw horse. Yeah, like one of those. Um, almost that. Okay. It's almost a weird like crucifixion type holding table. Right. Right. They put you in that, they burn you, they throw some feathers on you, because why not? And then weird. Um, parade you around the whole city. Wow. In the cold. Well, you're not cold. <laughs> you're, uh, I, I, people died yeah. from that, I would imagine. I imagine. It's I not imagine. healthy. No, 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 that's not a go. That's not, okay, so that guy, so that's 1773 is the Tea Party. Leading up to, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the Tea Party is like, this is the this is the straw that broke it all. This is where we may have we may have a union here still. There's still hope. Okay. And the tea party worked like this. Um all these piles of tea, mm-hmm. the East India Trade Company that is going out of business, a company considered too big to fail. Oh yeah. Is bailed out. They're right. given a royal bailout. And all their shitty tea is being sent to us. And now um, oh, it wasn't even good tea. Mm-mm. Wasn't good. All right. Um, That's why nobody gave a damn. Yeah. <laughs> you send them shitty tea. They'll buy the tea because they love it. And the the amount on the tea, the tax is small, but we're going to slip this past you. And and by slipping it past you, I mean like they're going to repeat say all those other taxes are gone. They're gone. Don't worry about it. Just worry about this tea. That's all that's left. So it's an idea like to make those around seem like oh they're giving in to us they've gotten rid of all those shitty taxes that we didn't want 
However, Sam Adams, John Hancock, other smart leaders, Dr. Joseph Warren, Ben Franklin, they know eh, it's a trick. It's a little trick. We can't let that tea be sold. So now we got to, of course, riot. <laughs> I like your storytelling technique. You're like, hmm, what are you thinking? No, no, we're not. We're still not in. <laughs> so, so they, it's not, in, they don't want independence. They still want the British army and Navy to take care of them. Yeah. But they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. That's okay. pretty much what it comes down to. The argument being like, we paid for it. We uh, we fought in the war too. We were right. Here. Our people suffered. We were in the land. We gave you things. We courted your soldiers during that war. Mm-hmm. Our people literally fought alongside you. Mm-hmm. Yet we're viewed along these times as second class citizens. Okay. Because you are not English born. Okay. Technically. And that and that was an issue. Mm-hmm. You're North American. Okay. And that means you're less than. Okay. So that's why you're like you're being dismissed. Every time you raise an objection, mm-hmm. um, they destroy your business or they um, take okay. your land. Like okay. Any and, – and the riot – Any dissent. Yeah, is hit with massive um, – Like overreaction. Yeah. Smashing okay. a, an ant with a sledgehammer is, okay. is one of those old like colonial sayings of, right. of, of how Washington handled things when he was in charge. But same thing, like over – just just – Decimating any dissent. Okay. Um, the Tea Party Night is fun. Yeah, it's a fun story. Do you know it? Do you- I don't know it. I know that they they white guys dressed up like Native Americans and uh, threw the tea into the harbor mm-hmm. and blamed it on the Indians and absolutely no one believed them. Right. And then I think the British still went and killed some Indians anyway. <laughs> That's what I know. <laughs> Might be true. Yeah. Thousand. Uh, I haven't heard like the Indians getting getting killed. I ha- okay, I do know a number of businesses got smashed after that. Um, but what's no- the story? But my favorite, my favorite one of the Tea Party is this guy. Um, I believe his name's John. His name's John. John something. All right. John something <laughs> is a. Uh, is part of the tea party. So there's there's two distractions set up. This is a masterful play, right? You've got town meeting where everyone's like, hey, let's talk about taxes. Taxes are bad. But down the street's the action. Down the street is Tavern, the Green Dragon, Sons of Liberty headquarters. And they're all inside, John Hancock. They're all talking, okay. As soon as we start to hear the tea party like meeting ending, people cheering or booing, we're going to the harbor. We're going to the three ships at Griffin's Wharf, and we're going we're gonna to destroy that tea. Uh, we can't burn the ships. Those are our friends' ships. They've commandeered ships. Oh, okay. So it'd be too easy, too violent. Right. Um, we've got to send the message that we're not going to let that tea be sold. Mm-hmm. Um, this one guy, John, is uh, getting a little drunk, as you tend to do. Sure, you're at a meeting. You're, you're at a rebel meeting. You got to. Yeah. You got to get some sauce. <laughs> get shit cocked mead <laughs> who knows you went boston i went odin i don't know why i went thor <laughs> he, yes he was uh he, he was not known to be a, a, a big drinker but his night is closed clo- cloaked in secrecy but this is one of the stories it's like okay this this happens just fun this is this just happen. everybody like bust this guy's balls after this but this he comes there they hear the noise. They go to the ships. 
He's down in the hold. These are 350, 400-pound crates of tea. you got to hoist him up on these, these ropes. And he's tying the ropes, and he's down there. But he's drunk, and he fucks up the knot. <laughs> so the crate of tea slams his head, <gasps> and he falls dead. And everyone's like, oh, no. <laughs> this is John's the, dead. John's John the drunk's dead. Yeah. We... John, who rarely drinks, got hammered, shit-tied a knot, and got killed. Who'd have thunk a man on a boat could be drunk, is what everybody's thinking. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? As he's laying still, they're like, um, we, uh, we, we gotta do the right thing. We gotta get rid of the body. Right. Because we, we don't want a body count. No, no, there's no... That, he's dressed as a Native American, and yet they're going to see that it's John. Exactly. Yeah. He's, his disguise won't fool the doctors. Right. right. The disguise isn't going to hold up to anything, ever. Anyway, go ahead. He, uh, they, they roll him up in a sheet and carry him like a rug. Sure. And they throw him in a carpenter shop, and they put some sawdust on his body like wood chips yeah and uh they're like all right we'll we'll find him in a day so we have no casualties the night of the boston tea party um the next day uh the leaders of the boston tea party go to the widow john's widow's house to break the news um in walks in john with a dent in his head, wondering, why did I wake up in a pile? <laughs> he wasn't dead. Mm-mm. He was alive. Wow. And confused. Oh, I'm sure. Probably concussed. Uh, concussed for sure. The fact that, what was he wearing? What was he, was he asking for it? No, what was, the, I mean, my real question is why, okay, so Everybody was drunk, is what you're telling me. They didn't. They couldn't tell a dead person from a guy that had been knocked out. But they're like, "Oh, yeah. John's dead." As was let's the go style. throw him in a pile <laughs> somewhere and deal with his body in a couple of days. Yeah. And John walks in while they're talking to her. Yeah, they're like, "We and thought he was dead. We thought he was. Oh, look, but it's he's John. Not. Here's some money. Here's some money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. They gave her like a." pension oh right <laughs> they were putting it together to like kind of oh, ease right, the right. pain yeah yeah and then uh, they were like all right sorry about that can we have our money back or no they, no, left, they, it with they it. left it oh good oh good to know good to know it's like a Do you remember the wife's name at all mary john no. and mary john and mary <laughs> you got nothing welcome to the dork forest you guys i'm talking to gary j peterson with an s-e-n and it's gary j peterson on uh twitter and comedygary.com uh, all right, so that's the tea party. Mm. Any other good tea party stories? Aftermath with Ben Franklin. This is a good one. Yeah? I know you're a roast comic. I know you're all about... The, you go to the roasts every Tuesday <laughs> at the never, comedy store. I've never... <laughs> when I think of it, I think I would rather tar and feather myself <laughs> than be party <laughs> to any sort of a roast. I, anyway. Why, why not a roast? So just a qu- quick aside. A uh, quick aside. Uh, roasts are mean. Uh, they're often dumb. I, it's like Howard Stern. I'd like to hear the best of from a second party. Mm. Uh, that's my whole thing about roasts. Uh, there you go. I, I would, But some people love them. 
Uh, yeah, and I, I like the spectacle somewhat, but I think that there, there was a weird parallel in, from from Ben Franklin's life as he was born in Boston, raised and hated Boston because his parents sucked. Okay, so he ran away at thirteen, um, and uh, he did all right. He did all right. He yeah. came up fine, and he um, he he realizes Benny. Benny's like. I can, I can fix this. Mm-hmm. I can fix this whole colonial situation. This is 1774. He goes to England. Yeah. And he asks for um, counsel. He, he goes to seek um, uh, uh, sort of a plea because the Boston Tea Party news has reached England. It's taken like eight months. Okay. <laughs> and he's, he's there and um, he... He goes in to basically explain, it's not the people, it's the idiots you sent there that are screwing up your policies, that can't enforce the taxes, that are beating up children. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes these guys. I can fix it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know Governor Hutchinson is giving out jobs to his friends. The reason he knows that is because he steals his mail. He's a post office general. Interesting. <laughs> um, ben Franklin steals his mail. Yeah, he was the postmaster. And that it probably became the postmaster. To steal the mail? Probably. All right. He was pretty smart. <laughs> smart guy. All right. So he goes to present this evidence. Instead of listening to him, uh, they bring in this general. Uh, I believe his name is like, it's a perfect name of history. There's a couple of them. One is the guy that beat up uh, uh, Andrew Jackson as a child named Major Coffin. Oh, there you go. Major Coffin slashed Andrew Jackson on the head when he was 13, fighting in the American Revolution as a spy. Okay. The other one is uh, Alexander Wedderburn. Wedderburn. The burn is because he was a prick. He was known (laughs) to be like a roasty type of dickhead who would come in and just eviscerate you. Okay. Instead of listening to Ben Franklin, they have a whole council of all the high, like... It's the the House of the Lords. Basically. And this guy just eviscerates America, makes fun of Ben Franklin, makes fun of his hair, his his old looks. I mean, he's in his, I think, 60, late 60s. Right. And uh, he just talks down to him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and it is thunderous applause and laughter. Right. The guy's killing. Right. Um, it's, it's bad, though. The point where the the next guy they're going to send in to crush Boston, Thomas yeah. Gage, would, would be like the military commander. Yeah, yeah. Um, is watching this. Yeah. and says out loud, "This is too much." Yeah, this is the the it's doctor took. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Yeah, he he also does not enjoy a roast. <laughs> no, he does not. Uh, <laughs> Thomas Gage, sure. So Ben Franklin says um, to a couple spectators close by, he doesn't declare it because he mm-hmm. can't. But he says the words, mark my words, I shall make your king a little man for this. There you go. And that dude is so fucking smart that he he uses his knowledge of his cousin, of who is a whaler, who knew how to navigate New England's coast properly to create better naval maps. So our Navy was smaller but faster and more efficient, and communication was 10 days faster during the war because we had this guy on our side. There you go. So our team is building to an insane level of angry people with vendettas. Sure. And, like, and, and intelligentsia, like rich, richy rich. Exactly. All right. 
What else you got? I got a lot. You got a lot? You got, <laughs> you got any requests? Uh, Andrew Jackson was a spy mm-hmm. for the Americans? When he was 13. Yeah. When he was 13 in the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. There's, um, he was uh, this group called the, the War Hawks. Okay. A young boy. Um, sounds like a sounds like a club, He Man Girl Hater Club that Andrew Jackson might be in. Yeah, <laughs> they did travel with a dog, sure, uh, <laughs> with a, just a spot over his eye. Sure, he was a a horrible life, a uh, weird guy. But I mean, understandably so that like all his family's pretty much dead by the time he's like fourteen. You know that almost every single one of these founding father guys were orphans. Yes. Was, How weird is that? They, George Washington, parents died when he was in his teens. Mm-hmm. Alexander Hamilton, parents died when he was 12. Uh, John Hancock's father died when he was 13, 12. Um, Aaron Burr, also, parents died when he was 16 or 17. All of them, orphan. oh, Mar- uh, Marquis de Lafayette, parents mm-hmm. died when he was 14. Uh, I wish my parents were dead. <laughs> Oh my God! What just happened, you guys? Happy Father's Dark Day! <laughs> Happy Father's Day! What just happened? It's uh, well, uh, any so the organization of this was done by who, and how did they do it, and where did they do it, and how did it become a mass movement? Um, to, well, for this, good question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the the organization, the planning, the groundwork is laid. In Boston by Samuel Adams, John Adams, um, Paul Revere, who's more of a leg man, but knows how to get shit done and supply materials and things like that. Um, Hancock is the money. Oh, yeah? If if Sam Adams is the mouthpiece, Mm -hmm. Hancock's the money. He's the... He was the second wealthiest man in New England, and okay. he married the wealthiest family in New England. Oh, God. And All then right. smuggled and smuggled and smuggled and made a killing. So, yeah, yeah. So much money. So much money. So much against taxes. Mm-hmm. Does not want to share any of the wealth. No, no, no. Fair enough. Um, he, uh, he married Dorothy Quincy Hancock uh, for money. Right. She was a total babe. Was she? Mm-hmm. These are hot people? Hot These people. These are good-looking people? He had... Um, they had access to dental. <laughs> nope. Which, of course, nobody... Well, what dental of the day? Paul Revere did that for fun. That was his fun thing? He had... Uh, Paul Revere had eight children with Sarah Revere, who he loved, and then she passed. And he swore he would never love again for one week, then met Rachel, and... <laughs> for one week? Had eight more children. What? Yeah. So he had 16, 11 surviving to adulthood. Um, Of the 16? mm -hmm. His jobs, he was a mason carpenter, a spy. He was um, a uh, uh, bellmaker, messenger boy, um, (laughs) messenger man. (laughs) Um, Very potent, obviously a man. Very fertile. Sure. Um, professional father, you could say. Yeah, yeah. He, was a, uh, he led a, another spy network of just like blue-collar guys called the Mechanics. He was a um, – he, he had a gunpowder mill, a copper mill. He and was an amateur dentist. Two words you never want in a sentence together. No, no. Sounds like a terrible idea. But like he had money. He had jobs. He was building an empire of his own. But just for the fuck of it, he was like, I want to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. So he did – and like who would be – 
who would go to a non-doctor to be working on their teeth? My teeth hurt, and he's like, can I pull it? Is that what he, is that what his deal was? I don't know how he advertised, mm-hmm. but like he he would be like, I'll work it out. I'll figure. Yeah. I built this shed. I can right. <laughs> fix your molar. Maybe I could pull your tooth out. Weird thing is, a doctor uh-huh. actually was his patient, Doctor Joseph Warren, the okay. hero of Bunker Hill. I know nothing about Bunker Hill. We'll get into it. Okay. Well, we have a half an hour. Let's do this. Okay. So bunk, Bunker Hill, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of it. <laughs> Please. But Dr. Warren is is a stud. He's a doctor. He's a ladies' man. He's sleeping with the mayor's wife, who is a spy, Thomas Gage's wife, Mrs. Gage. Oh, she's a spy for the, uh, for the Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, she got some family here. She's right. got ties. And right. she's whispering into Mr. Mr. Warren's, Dr. Warren's ear every night. Uh, Dr. Warren is the, the dude that stays behind, fights at Bunker Hill. Paul Revere's not there. Uh, John Hancock's not in battle yet. He, he's going to be terrible in battle. Sam Adams didn't fight at all. Um, but Warren was like, fuck it, I'm staying. I'm going to the last. How old's Warren at this time? I, th- I want to say early 30s. Okay. Um, small guy, tough, fights, is bayoneted and killed. And they bury him. Oh, there you go. And uh, they wonder, like, how, after Boston is free later, how are we going to find Dr. Warren's body to give it a proper burial? Mm -hmm. And Paul Revere's like, I did his dental work. I know exactly (laughs) what his face looks like. (laughs) So they identified him based off his dental records. Oh, wow. So forensic dentistry, another job of Paul Revere's. (laughs) Uh, Paul Revere, can I see the body? Uh, Paul Revere (laughs) sounds a little creepy. (laughs) That's what He is... uh, He's an everyman. I mean, do you you know guys like that? People like that, but I mean, they're just tinkerers. Yep, yep. I know John DeBoer. You know John DeBoer? No. A comic out of Minnesota. Uh, that guy. He likes to. He likes to fix some stuff. He likes to. He's uh, he's always inventing something. Taking it apart, put it together again. That's him. Make it yep. your own. The guy yep. that like drills into his own engine to make it faster. One of those. No, no. I don't know. I don't know that. I remember um, apocryphal. Story. He says it isn't true, but when he used to drink, he once got arrested on the tarmac at the Minneapolis airport. And uh, he was like, I don't think that happened. And I was like, but you woke up, he said, tied to a board. But the thing is, is I don't think that happened. <laughs> and you're like, you weren't there. Your body was there, <laughs> but you weren't really there. You don't know what happened. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I was on the tarmac. Anyway. So uh, yeah, that's the only guy. He'd be he'd be he'd be hell on wheels in a revolution, though, John DeBoer. So it's a ragtag group. It's a ragtag group. A lot of the um, like I I've, been, I've read uh, uh, a biography of Lafayette, mm. and uh, of course Hamilton. I got I went down a spiral because of Hamilton the musical. Still um, haven't seen it. Still haven't seen it. No. Uh, I've seen it twice. It's uh, I saw it here and I saw it in New York, and I did not see it with the original cast. So, uh, but it's excellent and it's fascinating because it. I had read the Federalist Papers in college, but um, I just knew I knew the written word. I never knew any of the stories or the people really. Mm-hmm. So, what happened at Bank Bunker Hill? <laughs> I don't know what to ask. No, I just... You're not really... (laughs) I hate Alexander Hamilton on paper. I just think he's the reason America sucks. But it's his bank ideas. I don't like his bank ideas. No, they were a lot. The centralized bank. It it helped 
the centralizing of the of the money system actually helped make America grow, but it was never made for anyone but the top one percent. I mean, it wasn't made to help anyone. It was made to help an entity, which was a centralized government. Yeah, yeah. He was a he was a guy who wanted George Washington to de- declare himself king. Yes. So he is that guy's not a not monarchist. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to really his politics were brutal. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where he loses me. The bank and the, the politics there. I mean, we're, we're the whole reason why this revolution is happening is to get rid of not just not the king, but to get rid of the tyranny. They're like, yeah, we we should be able to say, hey, that's not okay that you're doing this. We should be able as a democracy to decide and elect those that will do what we want. And we live in that place. That's what this is about. But then it slowly gets twisted to more power, like over right. time, after the war especially. Bunker Hill, though, I mean, these are the salad days. <laughs> <laughs> you have Lexington and Concord, which was a disaster mess for the British military. They, they didn't know what hit them. They weren't prepared. They fucked up big time. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Gage... Thank you for cheating on your husband <laughs> because she um, she was able to confirm something that, that sounds like a rumor of history. One of those like two guys walk into a bar dressed as British military. One guy says to the other, we're going to take over the, uh, the, the colonials. And the other guy says, yeah, happens Wednesday. And it sounds like a, a great joke setup, but it's true. Right. <laughs> They walk into a bar and they discuss military plans. Okay. What bar did they go to? The headquarters of the revolution, the Green Dragon Tavern. Really? Yeah. They went to the, imagine the Joker goes to the Bat Cave and it was like, I'm going to rob a bank. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, why are you telling me? Right. So everybody there is like, there's no way these two guys are this stupid. Right. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's both. Was it arrogance? Were they? Did they? Do we know who those two guys were? No, and we don't even know if the story is true. Okay, but somehow we know there's a march towards our our secret stash of weapons. Right that was on a, Wednesday exactly. or whatever. Yeah, it was like yeah. th- that April 18th march. That's it's gonna happen. Right. We we didn't know exactly the date, so we're like, all right, Doctor Warren, get in get in the bed, figure it out. Okay, and he did. Mm-hmm. And so we had a dress rehearsal of the Midnight Ride. <laughs> okay, one of by land, two of by sea, Midnight Ride guy? Exactly. Okay. So they. What's the dress rehearsal? Is like Paul Revere rode there and, and, they, and said, This is when we really do this. Yeah. I will say one of by land, two of by sea, or whatever. It was, uh, it's all, all by communication through, through light and, and checkpoints. Uh, so, boom, they're going to start marching at night. We know if we looked at the high point, the Old North Church, if one lantern, one if by land, that means the soldiers are going to march this route by land. It's the okay. most direct route. There's really only a couple roads. So that means estimated time of arrival. Okay. Um, if you know it's two by sea, that means they're going to take a little river route okay. and cut off some time. And then land troops. And then land troops and then march. So it's a difference of a couple hours and when they might arrive. Okay. So they, they run that drill, yep. and they get their timing down. They know um, they have moved Sam Adams and John Hancock out of Boston, out to uh, Lexington at this point, because it's just unsafe for them in Boston. There's military rule. Thomas Gage is here. 
post Tea Party Boston is martial law. Okay. It's dangerous. Right. A lot more troops landed. Yep. And they ain't friendly because they don't want to be there. Right. They want to smash this rebellion. Mm-hmm. And any, head home. any problems, cut it off from the head. Okay. So troops start to move. Um, Paul Revere knows about it. They know, like, this is going to happen. The lanterns go up. He gets on his horse. William Dawes goes another route. William oh, Dawes is... Oh, it's sort of backup, mm-hmm. just in case one of them gets caught? Exactly. Okay. And then uh, and then there's a third guy that's going to show up in this ride. We'll get to him. Dawes is a bit drunk. That's why his route goes up and down, up and down, <laughs> up and down. Paul Revere's pretty direct. Yep. Um, Paul Revere... Uh, sees the lanterns, crosses the Charles River, lands in Charlestown, and goes to this um, this deacon, John Larkin, who is like, when the revolution time comes, I will give you my best horse. And okay. The lanterns start, and it's time for the revolution, and John Larkin's like, I gotta, um, you want my horse? Or, you know what, my neighbor's got a better horse, let me just grab his horse. <laughs> so it's a borrowed <laughs> horse. <laughs> And he just gives yeah. gives him this random horse. There's no, like, magic brown beauty. That's all rumor. <laughs> Paul Revere jumps on this horse. He's never ridden. Yeah. Gets to checkpoints and doesn't scream the British are coming ever. Two reasons. Doesn't make sense. We're all British. Right. You know, we're second-class North American British. Right. But like saying, the people are coming. Right, right. Um, you also wouldn't scream on a top-secret military operation where there are troops stationed at checkpoints too right right so you're hitting these checkpoints to let other people know so they can send more riders to alert militias right this is more of a pony express kind of thing it's like he goes to the first place and says was it one of by which one was it was it by land or sea uh it was by land okay so he would um so pad pad he goes to the first one and says they're coming by land pass it on yep okay then he goes to the next one william dawes same thing a little bit drunker They meet um, they meet John Hancock, Samuel Adams, pretty much at the same time. So timing's working perfectly. Um, they let them know, you got to get out of Dodge. They're going to arrest you. That's why they're coming here. Destroy, burn the armies. It's a seek and destroy. And they're going to arrest you, too, because uh, you're leading all this stuff. Right. You're the money. You're the mind. Boom. Done. They're going to take this out in three swift moves, and it's a brilliant plan if mm-hmm. they didn't talk about it so Right, much. right. If it wasn't so, so Chatty Magoo. <laughs> so... <laughs> That is the perfect title of what the revolution should be called. Chatty Magoo. Chatty Magoo. 1777. Dave McCullough's next book. (laughs) Possible. Did you read Dave McCullough's book? I listened to it. Oh, really? Which was a lot harder. Or a lot easier. Because I always find that the the nonfiction uh, being read to me, unless it's being read by someone with a super soothing voice, uh, which makes you just want to fall asleep... um, is easier than trying to slog through it. He he does not have a soothing voice. Not like me. Not like these NPR pipes I got going on. <laughs> When's this all going to come together? So, okay. So they, uh, so they meet Lexington and Concord. They've got Lexington. They're there. John Hancock, Samuel Adams. They're like, get the fuck out. Paul Revere. And uh, John Hancock uh, is is like, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll be ready to go. Um, let me uh, let me just eat some fish. He wants dinner first? Yeah. Is that it? And it's a fish dinner. It, his motives are mixed. Number one, I think he wants the glory of being around for the first battle. Okay. Um, Sam Adams says, what a great idea. This is great. We should eat fish at 1.30 in the morning. 
um, because Sam Adams is afraid of horses. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> so true. Why do you know that? When he was a young boy, he fell yeah. off a horse. Um, so John Adams, I think the revolution paid for it, actually. It's a carriage windowless, so he doesn't have to look at a big, scary horse oh, so they can hilarious. move him around. <laughs> oh, my God. John Adams. John Adams took care of his second cousin. Okay. And Wait, what? Wait a minute. Who's afraid of the horse? Uh, Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams. But John Adams bought this windowless carriage, I believe. Okay. That's who fit the bill. So they could move Sam right around. around. Okay. So they're kind of <laughs> not moving fast. Yeah. Uh, Revere and Dawes leave. They bump into this this guy, uh, Dr. Uh, Samuel Prescott. Okay. About 25. Just came from his uh, fiance's house, mm-hmm. Lydia Mulligan. Okay. Lovely girl. Um, he was kicked out of his fiance's house for uh, being there too late. Ah, uh, there you go. Sure, sure. A little hand holding going on. But uh, uh, fiance, they should they should get some time together. No, uh, not, betrothed. Not that late at night. Not that late. All right, not wrap a, it up. Not after midnight. The witching that's hour. It. That's it. Well, there. clearly, why don't you guys go jump over a broomstick and then you can stay over all night. <laughs> exactly. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay. So Prescott's like. I love you guys. I've heard all about you. I've heard about the revolution. Uh, I'm a doctor. I can help out. Uh, yeah, I'm a son of liberty. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, you can you can join us. And within, I don't know, eight seconds of getting this new guy on the ride, yeah, the British troops nearby who were scoping out Hancock and Adams for the arrests yeah. uh, go to capture these riders. Mm-hmm. Revere gets caught. Dawes gets away, but then falls off his horse and breaks his arm and gets caught later. And this third guy, who had nothing to do with anything, a complete missing piece of the puzzle, is the only one to reach the final part of the mission, which is the armory in Concord. He's got to get there and say, this is the time frame they're coming now. Okay. So it was like, good chance. And Revere um, is now being interrogated at gunpoint. Okay. Supposedly a pistol to his head. And what do you think he does? The great son of liberty, Paul Revere, all those children to think about, all those jobs, all that revolutionary thought and effort, that midnight ride. What do you think he does? What do you think he tells them? Well, now that you set it up, I think he folds like a house of cards. You're a thousand percent right. (laughs) (laughs) Tells him everything. He's like, what else do you need to know? And it's not because he's um, betraying his country. No? It's a smart play. Smart play. In that he he does this. But smart for him. He was about to get shot in the head. Exactly. Yeah. And he plays it like this. Um, you can kind of do whatever you want with me. I don't care. You guys have no idea the amount of men ready, armed, trained, that know you're coming, know the... the mar- like, he gave them these details of their operation. That they're like, how the hell does this guy know that? Gave them credibility. Mm-hmm. So they were like, all right, this guy's telling the truth, and we don't have time to take a prisoner. We need to go warn and back up these other guys, mm-hmm. get ready, mm-hmm. or run away ourselves, because who wants to fight? Right, right. <laughs> we're in America. This sucks. My job, my pay is not good. I'm getting Mm-mm. beat up every day. Snowballs. Right. It's not even snowballs? Yeah, snowballs sometimes. It's not soldiers who hit with snowballs. That's why the massacre happened. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we don't have time. But Okay. <laughs> So he uh, uh, just let go. Let so go. they let him go. Mm-hmm. 
and then they go to find the marching soldiers mm-hmm. who are heading towards Concord and Lexington. Concord, mm-hmm. and do they find them? They find uh, Lexington. They don't find Hancock and Adams. They're gone. They start to get close to an armory. Um, Wait, did, did the the soldiers who had Paul Revere did they find their guys? Yes. To tell them that uh, this mythological, well-trained uh, rebel, <laughs> revolutionary group um, was going to kill them? Yeah. Okay. And, and they... Um, and so then, then, so then the British soldiers are marching towards Concord, clearly thinking, oh my God, we're going to have a full-out battle with another army. Yeah. And, yeah. And these, uh, at this, I think the arrival right near the bridge, where on the other side is like the main armory where they're just going to burn all this stuff. Right. Um, it's right behind Ralph Waldo Emerson's grandfather's house. Okay. Still stands. Uh, they are faced with, uh, I think it's five, over 500 British troops, armed, trained, bayonet, like know what they're doing. Right. Redcoats, not mercenaries. Right. They okay. know. They know how to. How, how many Americans? How many rebels? Approximately 72. Against 500 of the British Empire's trained troops. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, How'd that go? Not well. Not well? For who? <laughs> for uh, anyone? For anyone involved. <laughs> um, the, the shot heard around the world at like 5 a.m. Nobody knows who shot. Might have been a guy down the street shooting his gun off before he went into a tavern, but I don't buy that you would go into a tavern at 5 a.m. No, that seems weird. Um, and so, the, so one of the Americans shot first. Perhaps we don't know. That that's the that's the story in a picture book when I was a baby. Uh, the shot heard around the world was the first shot. Uh, also pictured in that book was uh, the Americans not meeting the British on a fair field. Them hiding behind bushes, murdering them as they marched. That's about to happen. Okay. So they, they flee from the field, and then over from the uh, the bridge is a stand, because you, you can't really get around the water. There's The distance and the guns is only like 50 yards. You can't snipe, really, with the quality weapons they have. Right. You can shoot toward them, and it might make it, or it might fall right before it gets to you. If your weapon even goes off. Right. One, one in eight chance it doesn't. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> one in eight chance it doesn't fire. Mm-hmm. So you're you're just screwed all around, right? Right. That's why the bayonets are fixed. That's so that that's you can what stab people. <laughs> exactly. That's what won wars. Okay. Bayonets. Yeah. Swords. Um, Trampling by horse. <laughs> Somebody picking up a rock and throwing it at another person. It was faster. <laughs> it was. It had a better chance. So they they uh, they just made the stand and started pushing them back, and then through the woods on the retreat route. That it is just a turkey shoot. Okay, they just start shooting them. Because mm-hmm. they're marching in uh, form as per regulation. Mm-hmm. Some guys now are like breaking rank and running. They're mm-hmm. just running into the woods. And those guys are, are toast. Right, because they're running toward uh, the people that are hiding in the woods. Exactly. <laughs> and Some, they will be beaten to death mm-hmm. at the very least. Or, or they'll just get lost in the woods and die. Because these are uncharted a lot of these uncharted woods, but imagine it's your backyard that mm-hmm. you've hunted and fed your family off of for 30 years. You right. know it. You yeah. know it well. Yeah. You know where to hide, where to shoot. And they're marching on this single road, 
high, like, hills on both sides. And they just decimated them all the way back on their retreat route. So the, the British soldiers that night had marched uh, just about a Boston Marathon okay. twice. So that's about 40-something miles. Right. So it'd be 52.4. Mm-hmm. There is it 26 miles to where they mar- marched and then 26 back or was it 52 there just uh 20 about 26 26 there 26 there 26 back and how many um how many lived how many were killed um i numbers wise I, yeah i think i can't remember like if there were 500 of them did half of them were half of them killed? I think about a quarter of them were slaughtered right. within Concord and Lexington. 250 down, because um, they start to get backup, but the backup I mean, start to retreat as well. Right. So it ends up being 1,200 British soldiers and then an undisclosed, probably 3,000 um, just random farmers and militiamen right. picking right, right. them off. Oh, okay. Um, so I think overall British casualties, were, uh, British soldiers were... I want to say like 300. Okay. 300, yeah. 300 out of 1,200. Right, right. Pretty bad. That is bad. Mm-hmm. And then, so they never destroy the armory. Mm-hmm. Does do, does the uh, the revolutionaries, do they move the armory? Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Because now they know where it is. Exactly. <laughs> you might want to, they'll just come back and try again. So they move the armory. And then, um, and that was in 1775. Yep, April 18th, 1775 was the ride into that morning of the 19th. Okay. And then... um, There's a test at the end of this. Well, here's the great thing, is that we've made it to the beginning of the Revolutionary War, and we're at an hour. (laughs) That's good, right? Sequel. Episode two. Episode two, Bunker Hill. Uh, (laughs) Just that. So how long after Lexington and Concord is Bunker Hill? Uh, June. So May, uh, April, May, June, two months. Couple of months. June seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Look at yeah, that. Happy early Bunker Hill Day. Happy Bunker Hill Day. So, when you would show people around, mm-hmm. where did you start the? Did you go to Lexington and Concord? Did you drive these people? Um, or I was for it a just a that one company? I would drive out there and drive around the city, but on foot. In the Freedom Trail uh, Foundation tours, I would start in Boston Common, okay. which is like the beginning of the trail, and go all the way to um, Charlestown, which is where Bunker Hill happened, if you're doing like the complete trail. How, how long is the trail? A couple uh, miles? or It's about three and a half miles. Well, that's not bad. 16 sites of, of history. Of history that happened in Boston in mm-hmm. the 1700s. What, uh, what, what are some of them that you remember? I think I remember all of them. Let's okay. Uh, Boston Common, then you move to the Granary Burial Ground, where um, it's the second oldest burial ground in the country. It's where Paul Revere, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, Ben Franklin's parents are buried. Um, you also have uh, Old City Hall, the King's Chapel, um, King's Chapel Burial Ground, Boston Tea Party meeting site, which is the Old South Meeting House, the Old Corner Bookstore, which is where Ann Hutchinson used to live, Faneuil Hall, that's where um, the Tea Party um, early political meeting started, but it's also uh, right next to that is where the Tea Party launched, where the Green Dragon is. Um, Boston Massacre site, which is the old 
uh, old, old, god damn it, what's it called? <laughs> it's the, Ma- the Boston Massacre site? Boston Massacre site is okay. right in front of... A Starbucks? Or? The old state house. The old state house, okay. And then the new state house is another site, and then, of course, um, uh, Cops Hill Burial Ground, the Old North Church, and Bunker Hill. And that's where it stops. Yes. Bunker Hill. Bunker Hill. You get there. And um, we kill you. Bury <laughs> you in the hill. <laughs> where did you grow up outside of Boston? Weymouth, Massachusetts. Weymouth with an EY? Mm-hmm. There you uh, go. Three celebrities, uh, Abigail Adams, uh, Rob Corddry, <laughs> and George Young, who uh, that's Johnny Depp's character in the movie Blow. There you go. Those are the three famous people that come from your hometown. It's a weird statue we that's have. It's a weird, weird statue. We have a statue of Fonzie in Milwaukee, <laughs> so I got to... <laughs> Gotta laugh. Gotta laugh. Is, there a, is he on water skis? Uh, he is not, and he's tiny, and he doesn't look anything like Henry Winkler. It's unfortunate. But it's right around the corner from the safe house. So if you go to Milwaukee, you guys, go to the safe house. Um, and also, you can go to the place where Happy Days, you go to Leon's, which is the home of what Arnold's was. It was oh. the custard stand that it was based on. A frozen custard? Who doesn't love that? Yeah. I just came from Little Bighorn. Yeah. And I said, and because I hadn't done stand up in over 10 days, I said I was working the room. Uh, essentially, I'm in the bookstore at, at Little Bighorn, and I was talking to the kids working the. Uh, they were uh, Native American kids uh, working some tour desk, and I said, "Why isn't there a custard stand here? A frozen custard stand?" And the kid goes, "Yeah." I said, "Leaving money on the table, National Park Service." <laughs> and uh, the girl <laughs> got it right away. The boy who was on his phone looked up after a couple of beats. He goes, "I just got that." We should totally do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Custard's last stand. I was a packy. I was a fucking packy. Worked at the pack service. You worked at the park service? Fucking Boston Harbor Islands and the Kennedy birthplace kid. <laughs> is, that, um, is that accent affected? Or uh, is it uh, like, is that how they talk in Weymouth? Uh, or do they talk slightly? I mean, I know the, the R has dropped a great deal of, of Boston. Uh, and and Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I had a friend from uh, Worcester. Worcester. Uh, but uh, she thought it was much cooler than it was. Um, I didn't know it was sort of the joke town until I worked on Cape Cod one summer. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, a friend of mine's from Worcester. And everyone went, <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of laughter. I was like, well, calm down. It's, uh, it's a perfectly nice city, which has several several universities. And uh, and a lot of abandoned factories. Are there abandoned factories? Yeah, it's it, probably being gentrified as we speak. The the joke I always heard about Worcester was um, the strip club was called Hurricane Betty's. Yeah, and everyone nicknamed it Sweaty Betty's because <laughs> of the <laughs> the local Worcester women that uh, had to work there. It's a charmer. Is what I'm telling you. There's a lot of charming, <laughs> charming people in, Ma- in Massachusetts. It's so funny because it's the birthplace of the revolution, mm-hmm. and yet it is full of some of the biggest dirtbags you've ever met in your life. Not that every place doesn't have its uh, fair share of dirtbags, uh, but it is funny. It's it's my dirtbags, right? It's it's dirtbags of of 
Uh, are you kidding me? I'm from uh, in Wisconsin, so we got some dirt bags. But uh, do you do you love where you're from? Do you have a, I do. A spot in your heart for it, like I got a spot in my heart. My sister has always uh, said about South, South Milwaukee. Uh, no H, just a T. South Milwaukee uh, is how it's pronounced. I just talked to my great aunt this morning, and she was talking about South Milwaukee and going to church there tomorrow. And uh, and my sister. We were driving downtown South Milwaukee, which is population 24,000 people. Mm. It's a little town outside of Milwaukee. And uh, Milwaukee, by the way, Noel, just Milwaukee. Milwaukee. So South Milwaukee is great. And uh, and my sister said, as we were driving downtown Milwaukee Avenue, she goes, I can't believe you have any any sense of any like sentimentality i forget what it was it was it was some sort of i can't believe you have any sentimentality about this town can't you see what this town needs and i said what and she said a match and some sort of <laughs> propellant <laughs> and you're like all right calm down i had an old lady story of a friend we saw an old lady in a supermarket in boston and there was these three southern girls picking out watermelons and they were just like i want this one i really like this one this one looks good. And this little old lady's like, he's, she's brooding. And she's just like, where you from? They're like, oh, I'm from Athens, Georgia. How are you? She goes, when is your bus leave? <laughs> well, it does sound super supportive. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Gary Peterson, you guys, has been on the Dork Forest. And he's given us a taste of the Revolutionary War. We will have him on again when we want to know about the next battle. Mm. And uh, we're going to do this. It's going to take uh, the Revolutionary War lasted eight years. Six of fighting, two of negotiations. Yes. And we're going to have you back every year for the next eight years. And we're going to hear a little bit more every time. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you. I'm a big fan. You do an amazing job. Well, thank you. And it's at Gary J. Peterson with an S-E-N and ComedyGary.com. And you know the rules out there, you guys. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?